That was from the 1950s. And if there's anything that describes the 1950s, it's simplicity. I think the word simplicity describes that decade because somehow people lived with only four television channels. Somehow they got through life. And when you went down the cereal aisle, there were six choices. The dreaded cereal aisle didn't exist till like the mid-1970s. You know, when you take your kids down, there's like 80 kinds of cereal, and they want every kind because of the prize in the box and the sugar coating on it. Didn't even have to deal with that in the 1950s. You had six choices. The aisle took like three seconds, you know, and none of them had sugar on them. Families in the 50s ate dinner together nightly. A lot of moms, most moms, in fact, didn't work. They got to stay at home with the kids. People had front porches on their houses. And they sat on their front porch and they would wave to their neighbors instead of on their back porch barricaded off by a privacy fence. Children were entertained by hours with a little piece of putty in an egg called Silly Putty. And, and if you gave them one of these, man, they would have just for hours and hours. This could entertain kids. You can say in a lot of ways back then, especially for those of you that remember it, life was simple. Today we're starting a new series called Retro Church. Retro is in, you know, taking old styles and old music and and things from the past and, and making them popular again. Now, I hope you can join me in praying that the mullet never returns, that that's something that, that stays in the past, it doesn't come back. But a few months ago, I was driving and I was listening to this morning talk show and one of the hosts was giving the other host a hard time and she said, you're so, you're so retro, meaning that they looked into the past and pulled the things out that they wanted to and, and realized that retro is in. People like looking into the past and pulling things out and applying them and, and putting our own twist on them and making them look new again. What if we went retro with the church? What if we looked at how the church began? What if we looked at how the church originally was supposed to function? How Christians interacted with each other? How they lived out their faith day to day? And how that faith and their church got into every part of their life into their marriages, into the way they parented, into the way they interacted with friends. What if we looked at the way the church in the beginning responded to culture and the way culture responded to the church? Well, if we're going to go retro with the church, we need to go way back, not 1950s way back, but way, way, way back to the beginning. All the way back to when, the time when the New Testament was beginning to be written down. In the New Testament, there's a book called Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells about the first century church, how that church began, how they interacted with each, with each other. It could be called the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the New Church or the First Church. And what we're going to do with this series is something a little bit different than other series we've done in the past is I would challenge everybody to get a Bible and read through this book in the New Testament. And it tells you all about the church. And today we're going to start this series called Retro Church. 
talking about simplicity. The church in the beginning, before it was saddled with hierarchy, before it was saddled with tradition, before it was saddled with doctrinal creeds, before it had bureaucracy, was just simple. It was just simply a church. It was simple in purpose, simple in function. So over the next three weeks, we're going to go retro with the church and look at what they did through the book of Acts and how those people that were first called Christians interacted with each other. Now, it's impossible to go all the way through a book with 20-some chapters in four weeks. So we're just going to hit the highlights. And I encourage you, this end of the summer month here, just take some time and read through that part of God's Word. And you'll find out things you never knew about the church. And you'll be amazed at how many things people dealt with first century world that we still deal with today in 2006. When I was in the fifth grade, late 1970s, our teacher had us build a time capsule. Anybody ever done that before? Build a time capsule? Put some really cool stuff in there. We, we all brought something from home to put in there. We put some of our homework. We put one of our school textbooks. We put uh, a pair of Chuck Taylor tennis shoes, which I don't, you know, 20 years from now, they'll still be in style. But we put those in there. And we, then we got a newspaper, and we put that newspaper in this time capsule. Now, if somebody opens that up from the basement of that little school in that little town, if they get behind where we put it and they open that up and they start to go through that stuff, they're going to get a picture of some of the things that we enjoyed, some of the things that we did, some of the things, some, some of the ways we interacted with each other and what it would have looked like maybe to live in the late 1970s in a small town. But if they pulled out the newspaper, they could open it up and start to read, even if it's 100 years in the future. And they can start to see some of the things we talked about Some of the things we valued, they could read through different articles in this newspaper that may be hundreds of years old by that point and find a little bit about our culture and our way of life. That is what the book of Acts is like. It's like a time capsule that was buried thousands of years ago. And then when we open it up, it's kind of like reading a newspaper of the day. It's kind of like the newspaper account. If there was a reporter walking around writing down everything that was going on with the first century church, that's what the book of Acts is like. So think of it as the the, the Palestine Press or the Jerusalem Journal or or the Nazareth News. Think of it like that when you you open it up and, and read it. So what if there was a newspaper that we found in a time capsule from the first century? Here's some of the things based on the book of Acts I think it would say. Headline number one. Jesus ascends into heaven, leaves apostles to plant the church. Jesus had been with the apostles for about 40 days after he was uh, crucified, buried, and resurrected. He appeared on and off for about 40 days to teach them, to, to, to prove to them that he was alive. It wasn't just that one time when you read at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he appeared, but he also appeared over the next 40 days to these people so they would know for sure they didn't imagine it, It wasn't something they just figured out in their head. He wasn't a ghost. He was real. So over the next 40 days, off and on, he would appear to them and teach them. And that's the way the book of Acts begins. One of those times, one of those sessions that Jesus was with the apostles, and he told them to do something. He looked at them and said, 
Okay, I've, I've died, I've been buried, I've been resurrected. Everything I said is true. Everything I've done had validity to it. You guys are my main guys. You 11 are going to take this message to the world and, and just stay excited, guys. It's going to happen. I now want you to wait. So here they are with all this knowledge, with all this excitement, of all this truth that had just happened to them, and Jesus said, wait. And isn't that something hard to do today? So if we're going to go retro and think about the past and think about how they acted, then we're going to have to learn to wait. And that's hard. Waiting is hard. Here's what Jesus said to him. In Acts 1, verses 6 through 9, he said, it says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus looked. At this time, it was just 11 guys, and he said, Okay, I've been with you for three years. Now, guys, I want you to go lead my church. I want you to be my witnesses, not just to the people around you that are like you. That's easy. You know, people that are like me, that take a bath regularly, that, you know, that like the same things I like. That, those people are easy to hang out with. But he said, I don't want you just to go to those people. I want you to go to people that, that live near you but aren't like you, people that are different, different cultures, different colors, different everything. Then I want you to go to people that you may not like. I want you to go to them. And then I want you to take this message to the very ends of the earth. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave in body, but I'm going to leave and I'm going to send my spirit. Literally what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm going to send my spirit. He's saying that he's saying to them, my breath will be upon you. That they could be his witnesses because they had his breath in them. The New Testament was originally written down in Greek. So the word for spirit is the word pneuma, which literally means breath. So Jesus was saying, you are going to have my breath. In the book of John, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. He's getting ready to send them out to teach while he's still on earth. And he breathes on them. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, he blows on them and says, go. But what Jesus was doing was in a symbolic way saying, here is my pneuma, here's my breath. The breath that's in me is the breath that is in you. Just like in Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2 when it says, God breathed life into man. Jesus is saying you can have this breath. And he's saying, wait here in this city, Jerusalem, and, and wait for my breath. Wait for this pneuma to come. And when it does... When my spirit, when my breath comes, you're going to receive abundant power. You're going to have power you never thought you would have. Headline number two, maybe in the Nazareth News, would have said, a former Jewish fisherman preaches to thousands of people in Jerusalem. This power, this spirit that Jesus promised to send in his physical absence was now upon Peter and all the other guys. And Peter, the apostle, got up. And he began to teach all of these Jewish people who had gathered in Jerusalem. And he told them the story of Christ because the Jewish people were waiting on the Messiah. Some of them got that it was Jesus. Some of them didn't get that it was Jesus. So Peter had them all together 
thousands of people and he began to teach. And he began to tie the Old Testament scriptures with the life of Christ. And he put those two together in a way that made thousands of people think, he's talking to me. That guy is here today just to talk to me. And when God's breath was involved in it, it made people say, this message was for me. Have you ever been at church or anywhere listening to somebody teach about God and said, wow, did they read my diary this week? Were they listening in on phone calls? Has the, you don't have to raise your hand. I know it's happened to some of you because over the last few weeks, a few people have come up to me and said, my goodness, how did you know I was dealing with that? How did you know I was feeling like that? I felt like that whole thing was about me. Have you ever felt like that, anybody? Yeah, you feel like this whole day, this whole message was just for me. And that's the way thousands of people, when they were hearing Peter speak, began to say that whole thing that he's putting together was for me. That's because God's spirit was involved with it. God's spirit was in every word that he says. And if you ever sit there on a Sunday and you say, that was for me, that song, that prayer, that message, those words were just for me, then you can remember that word pneuma and you can know that the breath of God was breathed upon you that day. Headline number three. Maybe it said, thousands of Jewish people accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So all these people that thought, he's speaking to me. He's talking to me. This message he's giving is for me. Thousands of people said, what do I need to do? He, he convinced them through the power of God that they were responsible, like all humans are responsible, for Jesus having to die for our sins. He convinced them of that, and their response was, what do I need to do? I, I need to, there's something I need to do. You ever felt like that? There's some way I need to respond. There's something I need to say, something I need to do to make a difference. And listen to what Peter said to them. Acts 2, verse 38. Each of you must turn from your sin and return to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the same promise, that gift of the Spirit that Jesus had given to them not long before when he said, my spirit will come upon you, my pneuma will come upon you, my breath will come upon you. That's what Peter was telling all these people that were saying, what do I need to do? What do I need to do here? And he tells them and says, if you do this, God's breath will be upon you, will be in you. And 3,000 people, 3,000 in one day said, okay, I'll do it. I I want to make things right. And so the church began with that one message, with 3,000 people saying, I'm in. Let me in on this thing. The church began. And, and here's where we start to really go retro and ask some questions like, well, what did they do? There were 3,000 people. You know, what did they do? And this is when the church was in its most simple form. Some of these people that said yes to this message would have heard Jesus teach. They may have heard him in Jerusalem or in the Sermon on the Mount. They may have listened to his words at some point in their life. So this is when the church was at its most simple, purest it was less than two months after Jesus was resurrected. 
So they began as a group of people, as 3,000 people wanting to align their lives with his teaching. And that's what they did. So what can we learn from these people that said, we want, you know, the first thing, first church, cool, I'd like to get in on that. So there's thousands of people getting in on it. What can we learn from that? How can we strip away 2,000 years of complexity, 2,000 years of doctrinal creeds, 2,000 years of tradition, 2,000 years of, of men saying, no, 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 this is what it really means. No, 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 this is what it really means. How, how do we strip that away and go back to just simply being the church? How does LifePoint just simply, how do we just simply be a church? Within a few weeks of this message I just talked about in Acts chapter 2, the number of people in their church grew to 5,000 people. So from zero or from 11 to 3,000 to 5,000 in a few weeks. That's, that's pretty big. That, that, that's a lot of people. And, and I don't know, I mean, that's got to be the fastest growing church in history. And I don't, I don't read anything about somebody saying, we got to have some committees. We, we, you know, there's 5,000 of us. We got to like divide people off and have some committees here to get some things done. I, I don't think anybody said, you know what? We need a setup team. We need a teardown team. We need, you know, I don't think they went through the 3,000 or 5,000 trying to figure that out. They, they were just being the church. They were just being followers of Christ. I don't think they, they had a, a paid staff or a paid pastor. And I don't want to go that retro. I don't want to go that far back, but but it was just people saying, we want to follow in the footsteps of this man, Jesus. They weren't going to church. They were simply being the church. And there's a big difference. Headline number four would have read, new group growing rapidly, more people added every day. And listen to what the book of Acts says about them. They, they join with each other, they joined with other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing the Lord's Supper together and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals together with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. This group of people, something special happened in them. They were setting the world on fire. They were making a difference. They were living their lives as the church. It would not have computed to these people to say, let's go to church. They would say, go, we're here. What do you mean we can't go where we already are? What do you mean go to church? It would not have made any sense to them to say, hey, you want to go to church? Or, well, want to go to church? I guess they wouldn't have called each other, but it would have made no sense to ask, people, ask each other to go to church because they would say, well, we're here. We are. The church just is. It bees, man. It, it, it's the church. It wouldn't have made sense just to say, let's go, because they lived it. They were a simple church. Here's some marks of a simple church. A simple church relies on God. They were having new people every day. Every day. And while they were busy being the church, God was adding to it. They were not covered over with programs. They were not covered over with activities. 
They were not covered over with deadlines. They simply lived their lives in relationship with each other in such a way that planted seeds in people's hearts and in people's minds. That was their job, was to plant seeds. They never thought about, let's get some results. They never thought about that because they knew who got the results. It wasn't them. Where do you think the results came from? The results came from God. Listen, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says this. This is the apostle Paul speaking. He says, my job was to plant the seed in your hearts. And Apollos, another teacher, watered it. But it was God, not we, who made it grow. So this simple church understood that their mission was to plant seeds in the hearts of people and make a difference in the lives of people. And then God was going to provide growth. God was going to provide increase. Another mark of a simple church is a simple church is moved by a spirit. God's spirit, God's breath is where power comes from. And especially today, We've got to be very careful with all of our technological advances, with all of our abilities, with all of our talent that God has given us, not to say, okay, God, thank you for all that talent and ability. We got this church. We've got a mission statement written down. We've got core values written down. We'll let you know if we need you, but you know, I think things are going okay. A simple church realizes that any movement, any momentum that's created, any real growth that ever happens only comes from the Spirit of God. Jesus made it clear in all of his teachings that the church was not our thing. The church is his thing. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And see, when he talked about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church, he's talking about the powers of darkness, the gates of darkness. Gates are defensive If a gate is up, it's up to protect. The church doesn't have gates. Hell and darkness, they have gates. And so the gates aren't coming to attack us. The picture is the church goes to attack the darkness. The church, the purpose of the church is to drive the darkness out. The purpose of the church is to find where the darkness is and just push it out with light not to run from it, not to seclude ourselves off with gates, but to go after the gates of darkness. And when a simple church is really functioning as a simple church, the darkness does not prevail. The darkness of a broken marriage does not prevail in a simple church. The darkness of addictions can't stand up to the light, the breath, the Spirit of God. The darkness of hurt, the darkness of loneliness will not prevail. And all of those can be broken down in the context of what these people were experiencing. And that context was community with each other, something bigger than them. Another thing that a simple church does, and a simple church enjoys authentic community. If the people who were closest to Christ physically, chronologically, lived out their faith this way, in community with each other, not alone. Faith to them was something that was done together, not by yourself. So if these people live their faith out this way, then shouldn't we look at them and take some pointers and apply it 
to today, apply it to our culture. To the first century follower of Christ, being a follower of Christ and being in community, that, that, that just worked together. You, you couldn't separate those two things. And it's, it's in that kind of community, that faith community that needs are met, that loneliness is beaten, that marriages are saved, that people are prayed for. And when something bad happens, that's when people are there. The first century church experienced this radical community with each other. In Acts 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything that they had. So whatever they owned, they shared it. So if you have a beach house, right, you should share that, right? But things that you have, like these people did, they would say, this is not mine. I've I've got it to manage it, but I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it with somebody else. Some of you have been the recipients of sharing. Some of you have been the ones that have shared. And there's no greater joy than to be the one that shared with or to be the one that you you get to share with somebody else. That's how these people lived out their lives in this community, sharing everything that they had. When our second daughter was born, Abby, there was a a, a big complication during the birth. And all of a sudden, what was this joyous time turned into this time of terror because I didn't know what was going on with my wife. I didn't know what was going on with the baby. All of a sudden, we're in emergency surgery. And as we are going out of this one part of the hospital to the other, I look over in the waiting room, and there are people who are in my small group, in my community, in a circle, holding hands, praying. That is a picture of community. That's a picture of what radical community looks like. We got through that. The baby was fine. But those friends of mine stood in the corner of that hospital and they prayed because I had developed relationships with them. And if you're not going through life with people that you know would circle up in a moment's notice and pray for you, then you are missing out. You're not getting everything you're meant to get in life. You're not experiencing everything you should experience in life. And I'm going to say it and say it and say it till you're tired of it. You need to get in a smaller group community at LifePoint. You will never know what this church is, can be like, and what you could be like in life, spiritually and in other ways, unless you're involved in a smaller group community. A simple church gets others in on the journey. It also says in Acts 2, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. Look at that where it says enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Would you say the church does enjoy the goodwill of all people or does not? It does not. So what happened over the last 2,000 years that, that caused us, the church, not to enjoy the goodwill of the world. There's a lot of things that happened. But I think the big thing that happened is people stopped being the church and they started doing church. And whenever that happened, whatever church that started with, that's when things got off track. That's when it it really went down a road that God never intended for it to go down. 
when people stopped just being the church and they just started doing the church. People that we read about in Acts, and we'll see this over the next few weeks, they, they truly saw themselves as the hands and the feet of Christ. So if you want in on a church like that, if you want in on a group of people like that, if you want in on that radical community, you can do just what those people did. So that's how the church began. With this, with this big, loud sermon and these thousands of people coming to know who Christ was and what he could do in their life, and then those people living in this radical community together that made them just appear to live their faith in every moment of their life, not just for an hour a week, but every single moment. That is when the church was seen as the hope of the world. People that were serving each other unconditionally, people that were caring for each other and others unconditionally, that's when the church becomes the hope of the world. The journey of the church and the journey of being a church is not always easy, but it doesn't have to be complex but it it has to be simple for it to work. Not easy, but simple. Those of you that are are God followers, those of you that hopefully will become God followers someday, take a challenge this week and go be the church. Don't just go to church this week, but go and be the church. Live out the passion that Christ has placed in your life and if you're a follower of him, you know what I'm talking about. That passion, that, that holiness that he's put into your life, live that out in front of other people. And then I think the church will really start to make a difference and make a dent and stop the gates of darkness from prevailing.